Hello, welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. With me today is Dr. Deb Gold. Deb is a psychologist with a specialty in trauma. She is a coach and an author, and, and she has helped hundreds of women overcome trauma from abuse and divorce. And we're going to talk more about, she has websites, she has books, a book, and she's got all sorts of resources that you can contact her. But, but first, I just want to introduce her and welcome you to the show. Thank you for being my guest today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Your website, I believe, is Gold Star Coaching. And when you go to her website, you can find her story. And so I asked her if she would share a little bit of her story to begin our session today. Our session. <laughs> our bed <call>. Okay. Because <laughs> she's going to counsel me. <laughs> Actually, my... my... <laughs> Actually, my website is drdebgold.com. And yeah, and if you want to get to me direct, you can go Gold Star. Okay, because I looked up Gold Star Coaching, and that's probably how I found you, which is why I thought. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll put that later in the show notes. So thank you. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, I, you know, it's a long story, but I'm going to try to uh, give you cliff notes. Mm -hmm. I ran a, I was being molested by my uncle when I was, my parents had gotten divorced at, at when I was 13 and my mother let my, um, her half brother, which was my, I guess, half uncle, mm-hmm. however you want to say it. And, but I didn't really know him. Um, and my mother had been estranged from him for years. And so he, he moved in with us and wasn't, it wasn't very long before he started molesting me. Um, I tried to move in with my dad. I was begging my dad, please let me come stay with you. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell him why. Um, I was afraid like a lot of uh, victims are when they first, you know, encounter something like that, especially if you're young, you don't know what to do. You don't know if you're doing something wrong. There's guilt and shame associated with it. And then at the same time, he was telling me that my parents really didn't love me and didn't care about me. Of course. And, you know, on and on, you know, the regular normal predator stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I eventually I ran away from home at 14. I found myself. uh, I ran from Indiana, uh, which is my birthplace, Indianapolis, Indiana. And I ran away to uh, Florida. Mm. Interestingly enough, um, which we can get into a little later, I found myself on Miami Beach. And there was tons of, that was in the 60s. So there was tons of, you know, young people, right. you know, it was that time of rebellion mm-hmm. and whatnot, because I hitchhiked all the way there. And that was, wow. you know, relatively safe then, right. you know, now I dream of doing that 15 times before I did yeah. it. Yeah. And so anyway, getting down there, I ended up in a place that was typically known as the Jewish quarter. Mm. In, in Miami Beach. And it was all these uh, Jewish uh, men that owned these shops, jewelry stores, and just all kinds of shops all along this strip there. And I used to love to go in there every day mm-hmm. because they made me laugh. It was like they all had these thick New York accents and they were just hilariously funny. Wow. And they were natural born comedians. So to me, this was like, oh, this is fun, mm-hmm. you know, just talking to them. 
of course, all of them said, honey, you need to go home. You need to go back home, you know, be with your parents, be with, you know, right. and of course I was having none of that. So, but I, it was still fun mm-hmm. visiting there. I lived um, under bridges mm-hmm. sometimes. Sometimes I collected bottles and have would have enough money to get a place to, to stay. Um, but it was kind of fun hanging out with a bunch of kids. God protected me. I never got involved in the drug scene or anything like that. But at 15 years old, I found myself pregnant mm. and involved with a man that was uh, twice my age wow. and um, was an alcoholic. And I didn't even know alcoholic from anything, you know, to me, he just liked to have fun and drink a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I knew. And so Anyway, he was gone most of the time and he'd come back and he would go off on these binges, drinking and things and was working, but, you know, spending most of his, his money on alcohol. And so I found myself on Miami bridge one night and I was going to jump. Um, and this was just for anybody that's worried about their children, you know, prayer is so important. Mm. Um, I know I had a praying grandmother and and my parents, I'm sure when I disappeared and they had no idea if I was dead or alive or what happened to me. Um, And I'm on this bridge and I'm screaming at God and I look up at the the heavens and I'm like, is this all there is? Mm. I don't want to live. This is what you made me to be born for. You know, this was horrible. I don't even remember everything I said, but I was yelling and and I was crying and then I'd look up and then I'd look at the water and I was like okay I'm gonna do it and then I heard this inner voice that I I can't tell you to this day if it was audible or not it felt audible mm-hmm. step off of the bridge wow and I was like okay this is weird what's going on you know step off of the bridge the life inside of you is not your own belongs to me and I have much for you Mm -hmm. to do and I was like I've I'd never experienced anything like that my parents I didn't go to church except on my own Mm -hmm. I went to I would walk to vacation bible school and take my brother with me but my parents you know we never went to church or anything so I wasn't raised with any kind of under biblical understanding at all but I always believed in God. And I felt like I had a relationship with him and could talk at him and yell at him. Wow. <laughs> that yeah. was about the depth of my understanding. But I sat down and I was just shaking all over and I felt like my bones had melted and I was like, what is happening to me? You know, and I'm crying. Wow. And, but anyway, long story short, um, my life didn't totally change then, but things did start to look a little bit better. And I realized, um, you know, that this baby did not belong just to me, but belonged to God. So I never wanted to try anything like that again. And fast forward, I married the baby's father and we had two more children. And he was uh, a total alcoholic and never, you know, changed. I got to a moment of truth with him. I There was uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse. And, you know, I, I would take my kids sometimes driving around looking for his car in, in a bar 
somewhere and going in humiliated and embarrassed and saying, could I, I would try to get some money for food before he spent all of the money, all the rent money right. and all the food and get money for food. And of course, when you're walking back out, you hear the chuckles and the laughter and the, you know, chiding him, mm-hmm. and, you know, his wife having to come and get money, you know, things like that. And it was so shameful and humiliating, but I knew I wanted to make sure my kids were okay. Right. So from that, I, I um, finally got to that moment of truth where I divorced him. Mm. I realized, you know, this was not going to, this was not going to work out. And my oldest daughter, uh, the one I stood on the bridge with, um, was always begging me, you know, mommy, you need to divorce him. You need to, she couldn't, she felt like she couldn't have friends over or anything because she never knew if he was going to come home drunk Mm -hmm. and embarrass her. So I went through all that trauma. Finally, I married this man that I thought was the love of my life. Mm -hmm. Just totally, you know, gosh, I got, I hit the jackpot this time. Well, it turned out initially that was kind of true. He had a dark side that nobody else knew about, but we did get saved and we did start going to church and we did, um, he, he allowed me to go back to school and Mm -hmm. I, I had to get a GED and then I went to college and, and I always remembered that day on the bridge. And I remembered that God told me he had something for me Mm -hmm. to do. And what what I initially started in, in the field of therapy was uh, childhood psychology. And I, I worked with adolescent children mm-hmm. uh, in Los Angeles County, had a contract for years with the probation department, working with their their population of kids that had been troubled. Okay. And, and I thought, I thought, this is it. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is mm-hmm. what I was supposed to do. This is what I was made for. And I did for a long time. And then my second husband, whom I thought this was the, we had the perfect family. Mm-hmm. We had the house on the hill. We had ended up building a ministry. Um, we both got our PhDs in psychology. We were married over 25 years. Wow. And so there was a lot of, you know, I'm fast forwarding a lot, leaving a lot of info. Right. Out. But he started having, he got, he was addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. He had bipolar disorder and refused to to medicate himself properly. And there was just a lot of scenarios, you know, kind of the perfect storm right. that happened. And he um he just walked in one day and and uh I found out he was having an affair. Mm. Um he put a gun to my head and threatened to kill me. And I I was, you know, pretty naive, you know, so I'm like, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know. Because <laughs> I, I was, you know, in the church at that time, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I'm going to be standing before you, Lord, and I don't know where he's going to be standing. But if I'm if I'm standing before you anyway, whatever I said caused him to put the gun down and he left. Mm. Believe it or not, having should have known better as a psychologist, I took him back. Oh, OK. I forgave him for that indiscretion. And then just a year later, when I was finally just barely beginning to trust him again, he came in and said, you know, I don't want to be married anymore. Mm. I don't want to be in the ministry. I don't want to 
you know, mm-hmm. you, you have the nonprofit, the counseling center, the, you know, the church, everything I'm, I'm gone. And he was, wow. but through those years, like I said, he had a dark side and I, I did suffer a lot of emotional abuse during that mm-hmm. time. And it was after that, that I really realized that my true call was to help women mm-hmm. that have gone through traumatic issues because when you go through traumatic events, it changes the wiring in your brain mm-hmm. and you are no longer able to really discern real threats from imaginary threats. And sometimes, and I'm speaking to women out there, I hope that are in abusive relationships, not that I hope you're in abusive right. relationships, but if you are, I hope you're listening that sometimes you feel comfortable in those kind of relationships because there's a familiarity there that I know how to navigate in this. Mm-hmm. And you tell yourself, which I told myself all through my second marriage, because it wasn't idyllic, even though it looked like it was on the outside to everybody else. Yes. I would tell myself, well, it's not as bad as it was when I was married to the kids. Dad. Right. Marriage is supposed to be hard mm-hmm. and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so all of the excuses are tra- trauma responses to uh to allow to you try to connect on some kind of level that you you're not really in touch though with reality and oftentimes you can't see the flags Mm -hmm. there because you want something so badly right and i have heard that where even women who may have been abused as children in by a father end up marrying a man just like their father. You know, you marry into abuse because it might even be a different abuse. So it's not as bad as what you experienced at home. And so as long as it's a little bit better, you think, oh, okay, this isn't so bad because I I can deal with this. And and I, I think that we as women also, things that I hear so much mm-hmm. too, it's just that, well, I can change him or I can you know, I can help him see, I can show him Jesus. And it's just doesn't happen. They have to be willing to go there themselves. And, and it sounds like your, your second husband basically chose the adulterous life over a relationship with, with Jesus. You know, he would rather do that than be in ministry, helping people because he went, it comes from a selfishness, I guess, as deep down. It does. And it also comes from, he was abused as a child by his mm-hmm. mother. And so he had an unhealthy viewpoint of, you know, what love really yes. was. And, you know, he was more attention grabbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loved the limelight. And if women said anything to him, uh, he would be so flattered yes. and just like in awe of and looking for right. something I think more that would make him feel better, mm-hmm. you know, than, but the problem is always within. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do as women oft, far too often is we internalize the problem. If I was prettier, if I did, if I was this, if I right. was sexier, if I was, you know, whatever yeah. uh, that he wouldn't mm-hmm. do this. And, and sometimes that's what they're being told. Right. It's not your fault. And 
And and that's yeah. No, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say and that that happens a lot. Even if the physical and verbal abuse doesn't happen, you have you can be in a in a relationship with those kinds of mind games that this is your fault that I did this or this is your fault that this happened. I wouldn't have reacted this way if you hadn't said that. It's sad, but it a lot of our relationships, I think that it come from it comes from out of a place where you don't want to take responsibility for your own actions and your own words. And so we place the blame on others. Definitely. And and that it's easy when you when you're wounded and you have a low self you know, and for women out there that are listening, you know, not only was he addicted to pornography, but he, he was having affairs with women in the mm, church, wow. you know, unhealthy kind of relationships. And so to, as a mm-hmm. woman, you take it so personally, it affects, oh, yeah. you know, how you view yourself and your mm-hmm. own self-worth and your own self-image. And it's rejection. It's total rejection. And you feel like, there's something flawed in you without mm-hmm. really taking the, you know, into account that he's the one with the problem. Mm-hmm. He's the one with the issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, because on the outside we had everything, we had this, you know, 4,000 square foot house in California mm-hmm. with Lake view overlooking, you know, this beautiful Lake. We had motor homes, we had boats, we had everything. everything from everybody else's perspective. Yeah. My, my daughter was the worship leader. We had, uh, her husband was the youth leader. We had over 300, wow. uh, you know, in the congregation, we had uh, a youth ministry that sometimes would blossom up over 500 kids. Wow. And so we thought, man, this, the utopia, mm-hmm. but a lot of people didn't know what was really going on on the yes. inside. Uh, behind the scenes, right? Because a dutiful wife and some of you that are listening will relate to that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want her husband to look bad. Doesn't want to stumble other people in the congregation. Right. And when you're in leadership, you really don't have anywhere to go mm-hmm. for help. You know, I tried to get him on several occasions to go, you know, have us mm-hmm. both go for marriage counseling or for him to get help, you know, right. I some of these issues. And, uh, it was always, no, I can't do that. No, I'm a psychologist myself. I can handle this. You know, I know what I need to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't want to be embarrassed that you have a problem and you're, right. you're in ministry in the church and you have your own business and you have your own ministry and yeah. And so. in the city, people in city council know you people, right people in the leadership of a community, the mayor, or all those mm-hmm. people know you, they've given you awards for your counseling center and things wow. like that. Wow. Yes. So you're like living in this fishbowl where mm-hmm. everybody can see everything that's going on in your life. And I understand where he was coming from about not wanting to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, a, that's a problem with all of us with mm-hmm. being vulnerable. You know, when you've been abused or you've gone through abuse, mm-hmm. vulnerability is a is a is a very difficult thing to to become vulnerable because if I'm really vulnerable, somebody's going to hurt me again. Mm-hmm. It's going to take advantage of me. Somebody's going to use it against me. Right, right, and that does happen. Yeah, and, and it you does. you would hope that it wouldn't, but 
yeah, I mean, I opened up once to someone in authority within the church about some issues, problems that my husband and I were having. And um, next thing I know, my ordination is being canceled. And um, it's like, well, you can't go and do this if you're having these problems at home. And and they weren't problems, big, horrible, amoral problems. They were just problems that we were having that we couldn't get past. It was hard. And, and then I was, you know, basically told later, you know, you can't tell everyone, you know, or certain people you have to be, you have to know who you're going to talk to and that that's not going to go any farther and that you, it's somebody that you can trust. And, and often we think that this is a trusting person, you know, a person that I can trust and I can be open with and vulnerable with. And, and then you find out, no, this is the wrong person. So and right. that's, that's hard. And you know how important it is, is when you read the Bible, when you understand from a Hebraic perspective or mm-hmm. from any perspective, over and over again, God says, I will be with you. I'm your strong right mm-hmm. arm. Fear not, for I am with you. I'm your front guard. I'm your rear guard. Mm-hmm. I, you know, right. I will never leave you or forsake you. All of this has to do with being safe. Mm-hmm. Because to really learn and to grow spiritually, um, God is the best psychologist ever because he made us and he knows we are fear how fearfully and wonderfully made the thought he went into, you know, just to create us. Mm -hmm. He understands all of that and he understands that we need to feel safe. Right. Yeah, he does. And I mean, and it is true. It's one of the basic needs I think of any living thing really i mean you think of i mean and i'm not trying to make light of anything but my dog needs to feel safe when she's scared you know and when a when a dog is scared they're they'll fight they'll bite they'll they'll um you know become a little aggressive because they're they're afraid and people do the same thing um you actually put a quote today on Facebook that I, I thought was good. And you said, our brains are wired for connection, but when trauma we rewires them for protection, that's why healthy relationships are difficult for wounded people. And boy, I thought that was a great quote because it's true. You think of people who have been through trauma, it is very difficult to have a healthy relationship with them because you push you tend to start pushing everyone away. Um, right. You don't, I mean, and you might even, you know, and even that old saying that hurt people hurt people. And, and it's true. You do. When you're hurting, you're going to snap at people. You're going to maybe yell at people. You're going to, you you know, you're going to attack them. If you feel attacked, you're going to attack back. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's really hard. It's a slippery slope, I guess, in the sense that it's like, how do I get out of this cycle of what's going on in my heart and what's going on with my emotions and my feelings and my, my own self preservation. Right. Right. And, and, you know, part of the key to that is vulnerability too. Um, We, I I can testify just, I'll just use me as an example because I know me better than I know most anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, um, for years, I was single for 12 years after my second marriage, you know, and I would only let some people get so close to me before I would shut down. 
you know, because, okay, I'll let you get this close, but you're not going to really know me intimately. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to share my soul with you or my deepest, darkest, maybe not dark feelings or, you know, whatever, because I, I don't trust you. Mm -hmm. I don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, I've been hung out to dry too many times. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even in therapy, one of the things I I always do is I I make sure everybody knows that this is a safe environment, Mm -hmm. you know, that I, I cannot, uh, by my, my code of ethics, talk to anybody about or share anything that you share with me. Right. And so, and I think everybody needs that safe space, um, where they can just feel, okay, okay. I've got to tell you all of this, Mm -hmm. you know, I've even had clients that say, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. And I I always tell them, don't be embarrassed. You know, this is the reality there there's reality out there that people live with every day Mm -hmm. that nobody else knows about. Right. And there really is nothing new under the sun. Right. You know, there's... God knows it all. He's seen it all. It's nothing. He's not going to be sitting on his throne going, oh, my gosh, he Something did this, is... he did this, or you thought that, you know. <laughs> right. I don't know what we think sometimes. I know. You know? Like, really? You know, I know. Yeah. And and it's it's hard to surprise an all-knowing God. Um, right. And, but on the other side, it's hard to disappoint an all-knowing God really, if we really understand that he knows everything about us, is he going to be disappointed? You know, in the sense that like we can disappoint people and they don't forget it or they don't, they don't forgive you, you know, or whatever. Um, God isn't like that. Does he know? Does he wish we didn't make that decision? Absolutely. But I don't think that we disappoint him in the way that we disappoint human beings. Because right. he already knows. It wasn't a surprise. It, it it never, nothing is ever a surprise to him. And he already knows all the answers. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes we don't want to hear them. Mm-hmm. But he knows, he knows the answers. And, and we, you know, sad, sad as it sounds, most of the time we know the answers. Yeah. You know, and that's really what a psychologist does basically is get you to, to draw you out mm. and help you to examine your thoughts. You know, um, it, it's, it's interesting because we talk to ourselves. They've estimated between 40 and 50,000 words a day. Wow. You talk to you more than anybody else talks to mm-hmm. you. That's true. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you wait, you lay there in bed and you think, well, I don't talk to myself. You just did. Well, I don't mm-hmm. talk to myself. <laughs> And you wake up in the morning. Oh, I wonder what I should wear today. Oh my gosh, it's Monday. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. You know, and you're all of this conversation going on all the time, 24 right. 7. Right. And more, more than and until you're really aware of it, you mm-hmm. don't really realize how much you talk to yourself. And so, what I like to do with my clients is I'm, I ask them to challenge their thoughts. Mm-hmm. When you have a negative thought about yourself, would you say that thought to your best friend? Right. Like, for an example, I'll give you a thought that probably almost every woman on the planet's had. Oh, God, I look fat. I wish I wasn't, you know, 
I wish I didn't have this. I wish Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. You know, I wish these wrinkles weren't there. I wish, you know, my skin's getting flabby. You know, I hate myself. Would you say that to your friend? Would you say, oh, you're really looking fat today. You're you're (laughs) starting to look flabby. You're really wrinkled. You know, Mm -hmm. you would never. Right. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't even say it to your own mother, really. I mean, it's like, no, mom, of course you're not fat. Or, <laughs> yeah, no. no, you're not looking old or, you know, hey, you've, you've been alive for a long time. It's okay, you know. But yeah, we don't give ourselves that kind of grace that it's. No, you know, no. And, and we are just as important to God when he hears us talking about ourselves in a negative manner. We're his we're his, I'm presuming mostly women listen to you. I'm sure some men do. Yeah, I have both men and women, but yeah. Yeah, you're either a princess or a prince to God. Mm-hmm. You're that, you're his baby. Mm-hmm. How are you talking to yourself? How are you treating yourself? Because mm-hmm. that could be offensive to him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think men have that issue as much. You know, I mean, my husband, you know, he may look back and say, oh, I was so much stronger, you know, 20 years ago or, I had so much more muscle 20 years ago than I do now. And, but, right. but, but yet he still knows he's a strong man in a sense. I mean, he knows what he is capable of and he doesn't deny that. I don't think that, that men have as much negative self-talk. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it just doesn't seem like my husband has a lot of <laughs> negative self-talk. Yeah. Well, men's brains have, uh, I read this book uh, one time and it really clarified it for me a lot. And it's men's brains are like waffles mm-hmm. and women's are like spaghetti. Oh, yeah. Men's are car- uh, co- compartmentalized. Right. Such, you know, they're they're very task oriented in this. Mm-hmm. But ours being like spaghetti, one touches the other. Yeah. You yeah. know, how I look touches what kind of wife I am, what kind of mother I am. What everything's kind of connected. It, everything's connected. And with mm-hmm. men, you're right. I think it is uh, a little bit easier for them not mm-hmm. to. And even con- people, he can compartmentalize people. If this person always does this, boom, they're in that box. You know, right. this is what I expect. I don't expect anything less or anything more because this is what they always do. This is how they always react. This is, you know, so he is very, very much like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. they can change. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, I think women are more the eternal optimists. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we well, we have to be that way because we raise children mm-hmm. in the home, and we have to see that you know when we look at a child and they've messed their pants at three years old for the third time that week. Yes, we have to see that that's going to change. Mm-hmm. We don't get the idea that okay, you've messed your pants, you'll be in college, and yes. Pants, you know, you're, yeah, <laughs> we know that's not a forever thing, and we right. can see kind of ahead on, on things. And I think that's why women are a little bit more intuitive, mm-hmm. almost not psychic. I don't want to use no, that term. No, I know. They're able to look into the future a little bit easier yeah. than, than men because yeah. of wired. Right. I wanted to just jump to another topic real fast, too. Um, we talked about verse that's repeated quite often in the in the Torah. But it's uh, Deuteronomy 5, 9. And he says that I am the Lord, your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children for the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. 
and then the positive side, but showing steadfast love to thousands. And I think some, some Bibles have thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And, and so we were kind of talking about generational curses because it's a very real thing. And, and I'd love for you to explain that, but also the word visit here, what it means to visit the iniquity of the fathers. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Um, and when I first really started getting the full revelation of this was when I started doing research for my book. Um, my mother, um, was molested by her father at 11 years old. Mm. And then I was molested by my uncle at 13. And then my daughter ended up getting molested by a family member. And I really had to stop and look at this thing is generational, you know, and certain spirits, you know, will um, demonic influences will attach themselves to pain, Mm. trauma and injury. And they will visit each generation but each generation visit doesn't mean inhabit it doesn't mean that they're stuck with this Mm. it means that because what i believe it means you know is it's because of repetitive behavior Mm. that you've grown up with when you've grown up with someone who's lived in trauma 85 percent of uh what we do and how we behave and how we address situations and mm. problems is modeled after our parents. Right. So if you grew up with a fearful mother because of trauma, mm-hmm. chances are you're going to be fearful, which is an open door for traumatic events to happen to you mm. or, you know, any other kind of situation control. Right. You know, things like that can be generational. If you grew up in a home where your mother was very, or your father was very controlling and manipulative, you're going to tend to feel comfortable when you can control situations because that's what was modeled for you. Right. So it visits one generation to the next Mm. generation. But every generation has that opportunity to stand up and renounce and and I think that's what's so beautiful about Yom Kippur, because what we do is we renounce all of those mm-hmm. generational things that have come against us to our bloodline. And we, you know, basically say it stops here. Right. You know, and so when we go through the fall feast where this is a month of a little where we're all looking you know, internally and examining ourselves, what a perfect time to address mm-hmm. anything that I have learned generationally, Father. Help me to see it, bring it to my attention and and help me to, you know, move away from it or mm-hmm. stop it with mm-hmm. my generation, that it won't go down to my children or my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I think me. that's really excellent because I think it's, you know, in, in the Lord's calendar, he instituted times that we did things like this, that we examined ourselves, that we examined, you know, even Rosh Hashanah, 
we kind of um I think it it deter I might say it incorrectly, but if it's gonna be a good year or a bad year, it depends on what you've done and how faithful and, and what you repent of. It's about repenting. Rosh Hashanah yeah. is repenting. And so then as you get to the other feasts, you know, and then at the end the feast of Sukkot is more or less a big celebration. And so now you've gone through all the hard work during these this fall season and now there's a celebration that's kind of how i see it maybe it's not totally totally the way it, it, you would explain it but um but i i find it interesting because i had a, a wonderful woman who mentored me in my 20s and and kind of you know she knew my family situation she knew that the things that were there and she would help me pray and say lord I want to break these cycles of favoritism. I want to break these cycles of jealousy. And and while they might not be terrible things, in a sense, you know, compared to some types of abuse, um, but they still can destroy your family. They can still destroy relationships. Right. Um, jealousy can be very destructive, and so can favoritism. And those were two of the things that I saw past from my grandmother down to my aunts and down to my own mom. And then just feeling and seeing that it was a normal thing and not wanting to feel that, not wanting to be jealous of, of the, even the attention, you know, that somebody else gets in my family over me or whatever. I didn't want to feel that way. And, and, um, but she would walk me through those things. And, but those were like generational curses. You know, you see your mother, playing favoritism and then you grow up, you become a mother and you start playing favoritism and, and just didn't mm -hmm. want that to happen in my own family. So. Yeah, that's, that's a great insight because, you know, when we look at, when we look at the Bible, it is filled with dysfunctional families. It is, you know, <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, Jacob and his sons, you know, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's one for the books mm -hmm. and, now where favoritism with Joseph was mm -hmm. a, a huge problem for all mm -hmm. of them and yeah. especially for Joseph. And so there's all of these that were written for our edification and our, and for our, how not to be, <laughs> how not to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul said it best. I think, you know, I've always said that Paul was because I, I do a lot of practice with cognitive therapy. Okay. And I always say Paul's the best cognitive therapist ever because he said, grab those thoughts, capture them, mm -hmm. those vain imaginations, those thoughts, and he's, you know, and cast them down. And what is, when you capture something, you have to look at it and you have to examine it. Where did that thought come from? Right. What is the basis for it? Is it reality? Is it not reality? And he says, think on these things, whatever thing is pure, whatever thing is good, whatever is good of report, you know, you know, think on these. Mm -hmm. And so he tells us what to, we should be thinking about rather than how can I get attention if I'm jealous of my brother, you know, and how can I do this or that, you know, that'll, that'll garner 
you know, the attention that I seek, you know, mm-hmm. I, I grew up with that kind of, my, my mother was very favoritism. She showed favoritism to my brother mm-hmm. and I was always trying to figure out, well, you know, okay, I'll be an overachiever. Right. I'll get space, I'll do, the, you know, and all of us connected in mm-hmm. one way or another. And uh, it all has to do with uh, dysfunction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the way God created us right. to be. Yeah, but how do we deal with it? We have to challenge every thought and look at every thought and under try to understand where it came from mm-hmm. and examine if it's true or false. Because where would we be without our stories? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what, what we tell ourselves of who we are and what we're about, where would we be if we didn't have those? Mm-hmm. And how we overcame, right? I mean, I, I think that's the point you're making. It's like when we overcome that roadblock or that thing in our past and even victimization and trauma, I mean, once we get to the other side of it, um, I, I think that goes along with Revelation, uh, I want to say 2.17, where it talks about you know, he will give us a name that only he himself knows because he alone knows what we've overcome, what we have, what we've lived through and then managed to just be an overcomer. And and that's in there. That's that word is in the Bible quite a lot as well. And, and, um, and I think that he is proud of us when we overcome and we can be proud of ourselves. And I, and I even think when you're mentioning that whatever is pure, whatever is beautiful, whatever is good, you know, it's even doing that in our self-talk. Right. I mean, right. if we can sit there and look in the mirror and say, but you know what? I've got pretty nice hair, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> or, you know, yeah, I may need to lose a few pounds, but I've got nice hair. <laughs> yeah, I, <don't> know. <laughs> I mean, fine, you know, find what's good, what we're happy about, what wouldn't we change, you know, right. about ourselves. Right. No, that, that is very true. And, you know, when in, in just living from day to day, um, I think we need to be vulnerable with each other. And um, the scripture says we are supposed to confess our sins one to the other. Well, if you look at any kind of 12-step program, Mm -hmm. whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it's um, Narcotics Anonymous, or any kind of um, self-help program that is out there, Mm -hmm. one of the first things you have to do is to get real and do an inventory, Mm. you know, and and, you know, everybody knows it's famous. You know, you walk into a room, if you're an alcoholic, hi, Bob, I'm, my name's Bob and I'm an alcoholic, you know, right. hi, Bob, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that kind of thing. Well, in the book of Revelation, it tells us, I think it's in the 12th chapter, but I could be wrong about that. Um, it, it says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's, yes. So it's so important that we share our overcoming testimonies with each other instead of trying to hide them. Mm-hmm. Instead so of true. what, oh, she's going to think, or he's going to think, or, you know, that I'm not really, I'm not really faithful, that I'm not really full of the mm-hmm. glory of God or whatever. Mm-hmm. When your testimony 
could be a lifeline for somebody else. That's right. That's really good because that's true. I mean, that doesn't matter if you're male or female. We've all got a testimony. And and I remember um, when I was in my 20s going to a um, singles retreat. And so there were some divorced people there, but it, but we were all single in that t- at that time. And I remember a woman, I've told this story before to a friend or two because it was pretty traumatic at first, but a woman in the bathroom as we're both curling our hair and stuff, you know, she's like, so what's your testimony? And, um, and she had been pretty vocal throughout the whole retreat. And so everybody pretty much knew what she had been through in her life and, and the price of divorce and the price of, of everything. And so, um, but here I am like, you know, 23 years old, 24 years old, and I'm totally naive and I'm totally never had, you know, really haven't done anything bad. (laughs) I just, you know, the worst thing I did was like have a drink, I think, or something, you know? So I was kind of like, um, well, you know, I've been a Christian all my life. My parents took me to church from the time I was born just about, and I've been involved in, in different things. And, and she, and she just kind of like, oh, okay. Okay. And then later when we were all together and uh, she had the opportunity to stand up, she goes, I just thank God that I'm not like the woman that I talked to in the bathroom who didn't have a testimony, that I have a testimony. I have been what I have been through. People see what I have done and what I have, how I have changed and how I've gone from this life to this life. And oh my goodness, if I could have crawled under something, I would have done it. I would have just crawled under the table, under my seat. I was so embarrassed that everybody knew she was talking about me. And it wasn't until later that I I realized it's like, I have nothing to be ashamed of. Right. I, I, was, I wasn't, for lack of a better word, I hadn't been tainted. I hadn't been abused. I hadn't, I don't have those bad stories. And I didn't have them at that time. You know, um, not that that other things haven't happened throughout my life, but I don't know. I guess it was just, it was something that I, myself, I was like, well, I need a better testimony, Lord. I need a better testimony. (laughs) No, you don't. No, you don't. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that was a thing, but boy, was that like, that was crushing. It was really crushing at that, that particular time, thinking that I was a nobody, that I was just nobody because I didn't have a, a testimony like her. So, so yeah, so I guess, um, I think, I think goodness when I see people that don't have those kind of testimonies, mm-hmm. you know, and I always, I, I had this running joke with God. I said, really, was I that, that much of a knucklehead? I had to go through all of that for you to get through to me. Exactly. <laughs> was, yeah, I was know. Was I that stubborn? Was I that obstinate? Was I this or that, you know, um, because a lot of it has to do with our own pride, mm-hmm. our own um, ego, right. and you know, um, yeah, and what we want—it's our own desires. I, yeah, it was teaching it's, on. It's that. not like there's a demon. The one thing that I, you know, I know is uh, Hasatan is not. He is right. not omnipresent. He right. cannot know and be everywhere. Right, like God. Right. And so he doesn't have to 
he we are drawn out by our own fleshly desires mm-hmm. and our own you know dysfunctions if you will or whatever it is we're dealing with and that's okay too mm-hmm. but just be honest about it you right. know we need to create an environment not not just in um the messianic congregations or or you know the overall body of messiah I think needs to be more transparent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm struggling this. I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling Mm -hmm. even with my ego or I'm struggling with jealousy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm struggling. We all have something we struggle with. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you have a book called what's lust got to do with it. And lust is more or less any kind of desire, right? It's, we think of it as sexual, but it's any desire that really we make an idol of. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I was playing off of the, the word, you know, the song by Mm -hmm. Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it. Mm -hmm. But, but lust, but lust has to do with everything. It's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, all of that. And lust Mm -hmm. is the thing that has, brought down kingdoms has brought down ministries whether it's physical lust or lust for power or greed any of those will bring down your life and it'll come crashing and it can go from generation to generation and it's all of those kind of lusts Mm -hmm. that can drive Mm -hmm. generations not just your lifetime but the right. the lifetime of your children and your grandchildren and all of that. And so when we make decisions, exactly. we're making generational decisions, not mm-hmm. just a decision mm-hmm. for right now, us today. And, and we don't see You're that. Right. You know, I've often no. thought like for myself, if I would have jumped in the, in, in that river that day and drowned, I, I would have missed out on the joy of, two other children, their spouses, their children. I have 10 grandchildren now and three great grandchildren. And they've all, they are almost all uh, serving in the kingdom of God. It would have affected many generations. My son's a sergeant with LAPD and he really does live by that, you know, protect and serve, you know, he's, he's a really, very compassionate person, loving person. And, and, um, he affects thousands of lives. I've got two, one daughter, that's a coach, um, in the business realm. I have another, that's a VP with, uh, with a bank, you know, and so in, in people and customers and they train leadership and they do this and that, you know, and I'm thinking how that tentacles of fingers have gone out. Yes. That would have never happened had I jumped in the river that day. We don't, but right. a, a 15-year-old girl isn't standing there thinking about, oh, this could affect generations to come. But but we need I to know. get that revelation yeah. that everything we do, Scripture mm-hmm. tells us that affects the following generations mm-hmm. to come. Right third and fourth and you can see that you can see it clearly when you look at families you know it's interesting that i i saw this meme one time and i thought man that is so true it was a homeless man and a businessman sitting on a park bench 
And the businessman had his briefcase and his suit and his tie and the homeless man. Well, you know how a homeless person normally looks. And someone yes. walked up and said uh, to the businessman, why are you where you're at today? And he goes, my father was an alcoholic. And he said to the homeless man, why are you where you're at today? My father was an alcoholic and both were right. But it's perception. Mm-hmm. It's wow. perception. How do you perceive your family of origin and mm-hmm. what happened to you? Yes. Oh my goodness. That's so yeah. true. Isn't it? Beth Moore, I used to read her stuff and do her Bible studies. And she was like, each family member can be involved in the same event, same right. birthday party. But each family member takes a picture of a specific time of that event. And that is how they remember that event where I remember the blowing out of the candles and a smile. You know, my sister might remember the harsh word that somebody used, you know, when they were like aggravated, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's the picture you take right then and how different it can be. Oh, yeah. In one family. Yeah. No, it's amazing. It's amazing. And and that's how God created mm-hmm. us, though. And that's, you know, hence the four mm-hmm. Gospels. <laughs> right. Same four story ways. told yeah. four ways. <laughs> this has been awesome. I appreciate your time and, and uh, your specialty here in because trauma is such a, a real thing that affects us for the rest of our lives if we don't we don't overcome it in a way, but the way we overcome yes. it is working through it and understanding it that God is there. down to choose life. <laughs> it's our choices. Mm. We still, even with our yeah. traumatic brains, we still have choices to make. We still have decisions to make. He, his desire mm-hmm. for us is mm-hmm. to choose life. And, so, right. and sometimes Excellent. that's, that's tough, but uh, yeah, I wanted to, if I can get, do a shame. Yeah. Plug. Uh, sure. We have a women's um, retreat coming up in November 10th through the 12th in um, in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. And I, if I can give a number, it's you can call 405-999-8222. Okay, I'll put yeah. that on. Our and, show uh, if anybody too. wants to attend the conference and we deal with all of these kind of things from a spiritual theological point of view of healing and spiritual emotional and healing mm-hmm. and so but it's women That's only excellent. so sorry guys well and the idea of our conference too is to give women a safe place to go because a lot of people don't want to talk about it in their own community you know what they're doing right makes total sense yeah it's been such a joy to be on your program today thank you for asking me you're welcome. I appreciate your time and, and your specialty too there because I think uh, lots of good information and I, I and I hope it helps somebody out there. I hope that who's listening, if they need this, if they need somewhere they can go to a safe place that you'll look up this um, conference with Dr. Deb. So thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Okay, I did too. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website. And I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.